0: Greetings and salutations in the name of our Lord. I hope you're doing well. Uh, This is Mr. G. This is Paige. I got my coffee. And today, I feel kind of like one of those high wire walkers. Uh, It's going to be... I'm taking a big chance today because I've tried preparing for this morning's devotional and I've gone about a half a dozen different directions. You are going to see... You are going to see me in my best thinking with my mouth open scenario today. One of my favorite ways of solving problems is to talk my way through them. For some reason, uh, I have to get words out as I'm discussing a problem. And my wife has learned that there are times when I don't require a response from her, but I need her as a sounding board. And I'll just try, and I'll walk my way through a problem. Now, I think that was probably taught to me by my father. My father never once gave me advice. Never once. I'd ask him a question, I'd ask him for advice. And he would always ask me questions that guided me towards my answer. And I would arrive at the answer on my own without dad ever having to tell me anything. So maybe that's where I learned this. I took on a big assignment when I said I was going to go through the book of Acts and then when I got to the place where an epistle was written, we covered cover the epistle and try to put it within the context of the book of Acts. And i realized that one of the biggest dangers for me in that is that I might try to make the Bible say something that it's not saying. But I'm going to take that chance anyway, because I really, truly think that putting the Bible, putting the epistles within the historical context of Acts will give us another avenue of insight into these epistles. And today's epistle is going to be the book of James, the letter of James. Now, I'm not going to go through the entire James Bible study because that was like, Oh my goodness, that was like three or four weeks worth of of, uh, devotionals. Uh, And I'm not going to rehash all that. But what I'm going to do is summarize the book of Acts the way I see it so far. And then I'm going to summarize the book of James. And then try to marry those two things together. To maybe give us a little bit more insight into James, where it fits in our narrative. Okay? All right. Cool. Let's get started with just me giving you a bird's eye view of where we are at the book of Acts. Uh, We've had Jesus taken up to heaven. We've had meeting in the upper room. The Holy Spirit falls. And these Hebraic Jews start glorifying God, speaking of the glories of God, in tongues. And Hellenistic Jews in the crowd heard God being glorified in their own tongue by these Galileans and several thousand people were saved that day. Hellenistic Jews being the big chunk of them by my understanding. Now, there are some issues between Hellenistic Jews and Hebraic Jews. Hellenistic Jews, by virtue of the fact that they've lived outside of Israel, out in the Greco-Roman world, Um, they've embraced aspects of that culture and embedded aspects of that culture with their Jewish culture. So there's some issues between Hebraic Jews and Hellenistic Jews in that regard. Um, But interestingly, the gospel, first, converts outside of the disciples were Hellenistic Jews, now, they weren't the only ones saved. Um, as we're going to see later on, Pharisees, members of the priesthood, they were also became members of the way. But for right now, just suffice it to say, that Hellenistic Jews have uh, joined the fold. Shortly thereafter, um, we have the story of Peter and Cornelius, and how the Holy Peter went and spent several days with Cornelius and his family, and they were saved. The Holy Spirit fell on them just like it fell on everybody on the day of Pentecost. And all of a sudden, we have non-Jews entering the fold. Now, Cornelius was a was a God-fearer, if you will, God fearing man. That meant he followed. Many of the religious, uh, much of the religious instruction of the Jewish faith, but he never became a Jew in the sense that he w- became circumcised. He was a Gentile who followed Jehovah. So he was, though he was a Gentile, he was probably conversant with the Torah, with the five books of Moses, and he probably observed many of the Jewish observances out of respect and worship to God. And God sent Peter to him, and Cornelius and his family were the first group of Gentiles admitted to the church. All right, so now we've gone from Hebraic Jews to Hellenistic Jews to Hellenists, Gentiles, But now these Gentiles, Cornelius and his family, like I said, they were probably conversant with the Jewish scriptures. But then the next thing that happens, persecution hits. The Apostle James, the Apostle James, is executed by Herod. And Jews run out of Jerusalem to get away from the persecution of Herod. And some go to Antioch. Now, Antioch is a very important city in the Roman Empire. And Antioch uh, becomes a place where there is a Gentile uh, revival, if you will, for lack of better words. It's not a revival. They're not being re-anything. The gospel is introduced to the Gentiles in Antioch. And there's wholesale conversion citywide. There are many, many, many Gentiles who are converted to this thing called the way. The apostles hear about it in Jerusalem and they send Barnabas to check it out. Barnabas gets there and he's amazed. These people are genuine converts to the way. But there's one issue now. Most of these Gentiles don't have knowledge of Hebrew scriptures. They just have the testimony and word of those who came about who Jesus was and what Jesus did and why that's important. So Barnabas goes and gets Saul from Tarsus, not that far away, brings Saul back to Antioch, and they spend an entire year teaching in Antioch grounding them, no doubt, in the Torah, the five books of Moses. Um, so that is that kind of brings us up to where James' letter is being written. James the Apostle has been executed. James, the half-brother of Jesus, has, is moving into a leadership position in Jerusalem. And he writes the letter, the epistle of James, and he's writing it into this situation where there are Jews, Hellenistic Jews, and God-fearing Gentiles who have knowledge of Torah, the Torah. And also but there's also a group of Gentiles that don't have that background, that weren't raised in the discipline of. Judaism and in the Word. Don't understand the significance of the different feasts, the different celebrations. Don't understand the reverence to be given to the law. All they know is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So, what do you do with that? Well, that is what James is writing his letter into. James has to address these two groups of people. People versed in Jewish disciplines and scripture, and people who know only the name of Jesus and him crucified, and not necessarily versed in Jewish thought and scripture and discipline. How do you do that? Well, James is masterful. Here's an example, a modern day example out of my life. I'm a music teacher. Um, I adore music theory. I just do. I love solving music problems. I love looking at a melody and figuring out what chords go to it or looking at a chord and see what kind of melody I can pull out of it. I'm a total music theory wonk. I've discovered though that when I'm in a classroom situation music students and if I open up saying hey we are going to study music theory today isn't that exciting? You can see the eyes start to roll in the back of their heads glass over Uh, they just they check out but if I say "All right, you know what and I play a C major 7 chord here's a C major 7 chord that sound cool? Now The C major 7 chord sounds really good when I put it with an F major 7. So I go back and forth from C major 7, F major 7. And then I go, now listen to this G dominant 7 chord and I play the G dominant 7. That G7 wants to go back to C. It just wants to. In fact, it pretty much demands that you go back to C. And then we play it and and then I teach them the chords. They play it. We play maybe a couple songs that have these chords in it. And they understand how G7 wants to go back to C. And we can bounce from C to F all day long. But when we go to G7, go back to C. And at the end of the class, they understand. They understand how these chords work, why they work. G7 wants to go back to C, all that stuff. And at the end of the class, would tell them, guess what? What? You just learned music theory. You learn something really practical. Real life, rubber meets the road music theory. I didn't give you anything you didn't need at this stage in your education. You know that C major 7, F major 7, and G7 are wonderful three chords, and you can conquer the musical universe with them if you want. But they walk away knowing something about music theory. Well, what do you do with a group of Gentiles that is not familiar with the Torah? with Moses, the law, the rabbinical traditions, the oral traditions passed down from generation to generation. They don't know this. What do you do? Well, you do what James did. You write a letter that is chock full of references and hints about scripture out of the Torah, but you don't reference it as such. You reference it as a letter. It's just a letter of instruction. But it is tied to Old Testament Scripture. That's James. And he has a particular agenda. He wants these Christians to know that if you are going to call yourself a believer... Then you need to demonstrate your faith by the way you live your life. It should be different. You love God with all your heart, soul and mind. you love your neighbors yourself. Now a couple things here. I, you're going to hear me use the word Christians throughout my devotionals. The title Christian wasn't invented yet. They were just enti- they were just called believers of the way. Um, And the word church, I use that a lot. It's translated church many times in the New Testament from the Greek word ecclesia. Ecclesia just means a gathering, an assembly. But I'm going to use the word church off and on. But when I use it, I'm not talking about a building. I'm not talking about a denomination. I'm talking about uh, a church being... All like minded believers who believe that Jesus Christ crucified, raised on the third day, sitting at the right hand of the Father, all who are believers are members of the church. I'm not talking Baptist, Methodist, Catholic, nothing. I know that as history marched forward, the word church became synonymous with buildings and properties and things of that nature, but I'm just using it in the sense that believers are members of the church, no matter what denomination you're part of. All right, so James is writing a letter, and he's got to attack, attack is a bad word, he's got to address the issues that Jewish believers and non-Jewish believers would identify with. And so his letter is very, very, very practical. Now, what I'm going to do is I want you to imagine that you're a Gentile. Hey, wait, I am a Gentile. But I don't know. I have not heard anything about the Torah. I don't know much about Jewish scripture. But I know that I really truly believe that this Jesus was Messiah and that he died for me. And I want to find out what he has for me. Well, one of Jesus' Jesus's own brother, James, writes a letter. This guy ought to know what Jesus wants me to do. He was Jesus' own brother. And there takes us to the letter of James. So I'm going to read the letter of James for the rest of this class. And I want you to keep in mind, pretend with me, that you are a Gentile believer somewhere uh, in the periphery of Jerusalem, probably, you know, maybe even Antioch. And you need to know what is required of you as a Christian. You, You bowed your knee to Jesus. The Holy Spirit has fallen on you. You're feeling this change in your heart. Now it's time to address your life. Let's take a look at this. James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many sorts, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers a plant, its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the ritual fade away even while they go about their business. Now, again, you're a Gentile. You don't have past knowledge of Scripture. James is throwing a lot at you. That's Scripture. You don't even know it yet. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Side thought. In the Greek or roman pantheon of gods and goddesses, they're always tricking men. They're always deceiving men. The Greek and Roman gods, that's their story. They deceive. God does not deceive. God does not tempt. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters, for every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Again, not like those Greek gods. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we may, might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, Slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they'll be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongue deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones that are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin. will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm, well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. But, someone will say, You have faith, I have deeds. Well, show me your faith without deeds. I'll show you my faith by my deeds. You believe there's one God? Good, good. Even the demons believe that. And shudder. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture is fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As a body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead not many of you should become teachers my fellow believers because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly we all stumble in many ways anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect able to keep their whole body in check when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example although they're so large and driven by strong winds they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go likewise All right, tomorrow we'll finish reading James. But I want you to think about what it must have been like for James to compose a letter that had as its audience those who, familiar, who are familiar with the Torah and those in the audience that are not familiar with the Torah. He comes right out and quotes scripture in a couple places, but for the most part, he's basically teaching what Torah teaches. He's teaching what the Torah teaches. He's teaching what the Bible teaches. He's just not putting it in Bible talk. If you, I hope you don't mind me saying it like that. But he's telling them what they need to know. If this is all a Gentile believer received, there's enough here to live on and to filter through their life for the rest of their life. It's amazing. And this is a, I I see James writing this in the midst of this explosion, this Gentile explosion in the church. And I've even got a new appreciation for why and how he did this. This is a well-written epistle. I don't agree with Luther who thought it was an epistle of straw. This is well-written. All right, I'm going to leave it there. We will pick up with verse 13 down here, two kinds of wisdom tomorrow, and we'll continue our discussion about James' letter within at the end of chapter 12 of Acts. And after tomorrow, which is what, Thursday? Yeah. On Friday, we'll get back into the book of Acts and we'll move on. Alright, this is Mr. G, and I am out of here. Bye-bye. <laughs>